Well, thanks for the introduction, Cabot, Pastor Cabot. Um, it's great to be with you uh, this morning. So, in the late um, 19th century, there was a physician who lived and worked in the southern part of France in a region called Bordeaux. Um, and on this particular day, he was sitting across from perhaps the most unusual patient he had ever met. The patient was a man, clearly from a different part of France, a man who was currently employed at a gas equipment company. And now here he was in the hospital, disheveled, tired, somewhat incoherent. The doctor was examining him for mental instability. Now, how this fellow had ended up at the hospital was a deeply perplexing question. Uh, apparently, he had been traveling on foot for 35 to 45 miles, if not longer, just walking. If you had looked at him, he kind of reminded me of Pastor Cabot back in the days when we were doing our MDiv during exams. <laughs> he kind of looked ragged and unkempt. <laughs> but there were so many questions begging to be asked. Uh, why was he here? What did he think he was doing? What would possess him to just pick up, leave his family, his work, his daily life, everything, what possessed him to abandon all of that and then hit the road on foot? The story doesn't end there. Uh, it turns out this wasn't the first time this had happened to him. It was just the latest of many. The first time was when he was 12. He suddenly had a strange compulsion to leave everything behind and start walking. And that first time... He had mysteriously disappeared, no note to his family, nothing. He'd simply vanished. Days later, his brother found him in a nearby town, wandering about as if in a dream, not knowing how he got there. And that was the pattern. That's how it went. Almost out of the blue, he'd suddenly decide to hit the road and just start walking and walking and walking. For miles and miles, he'd end up in places like Marseille, Paris, Vienna, Moscow, Frankfurt. Often he was arrested for vagrancy um, and ended up in prison. And it was always the same story. He would never remember how he got there. And I'm not making this up. This is an actual case described in a book by Ian Hacking called Mad Travelers. Reflections on the Reality of Transient Mental Illnesses. It's a fascinating story. Can you imagine it? Mad traveling. Uh, the condition was first documented in 1887 and then disappeared around 1910. They called it the fugue. Uh, psychiatrists today might categorize it as a form of dissociative amnesia. Uh, the fugue was bewildering, people mysteriously forgetting who they were, forgetting their core identities, uh, wandering off, finding themselves lost in another city a long way from home. 
Now, I don't want to uh, trivialize this condition, but I think there's a sense in which each one of us here today, quite regularly, each one of us enters a fugue state. We completely forget our basic identity, who we are, that the Lord of the universe is on our side, that our hope is in Jesus alone. We forget these things. And then we end up in what is a really weird situation of trusting in temporal things. We're chronically anxious. We're sad. Our emotions go up and down like the dust in the wind. So let me ask you this question. Were you in a fugue state this past week? Have you temporarily forgotten your identity, who you are, where your hope lies. Um, The passage uh, for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And that text brings us back to reality. Where does your hope lie? According to this passage, and I'm sure the kids that were up here a moment ago would know, our answer must be Jesus. Uh, In life, Sometimes things get complicated, Uh, situations are complex, and we need nuance, we need sophistication to understand uh, the, the, the situations. But, you know, sometimes it's actually really very simple. It's basic. You don't need a college degree, you don't need a PhD. The answer is Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, my friend. Jesus is alive, and he is on your side. We need Jesus because he is our only hope. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen again to how the passage begins. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Or as the NIV uh, puts it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. God's word is inviting us today to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I have to apologize. I don't have three points. I'm sure Pastor Cabot always has three points, so I hope I'm not discouraging you today. Uh, It's going to be a really straightforward sermon uh, this morning. We're simply going to walk through the text, and we're going to behold our Savior, Jesus. We need this. We desperately need this, because there's something odd about us as Christians. Uh, Sometimes we seem to enter a mysterious fugue We escape the profound reality of Jesus in our lives. 
we forget all that's wonderfully true about our Savior and his lordship over us. Um, Or maybe it's not quite that bad. Sometimes we just take Jesus for granted. Um, You know, there's that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus can fade into the background of our lives like elevator music. Uh, We don't focus on it. We're just getting on with our business. But God forbid, Jesus is not just background music. He's right in the foreground, and we need to fix our thoughts on him. And when we do that, what do we see? In verse 1, we see that Jesus is our apostle and our high priest. And I think we should pause over those rich words. Um, The text is telling us that Jesus is an apostle, literally a messenger, an emissary from God himself. God sent Jesus to humanity. Why? Because we need all the help that we can get. There was a time long ago when we as a human community, we were in close fellowship with God. In the Garden of Eden, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were without guile, sinless, in fellowship with the Lord. But as we all know, things went awry. And we are now east of Eden. Our sin has ruined our relationship with God. It's like a metastatic cancer, a cancer that keeps spreading to every human being that has ever been born. And the tragedy is that we have no remedy for this cancer. And we see that in the biblical story. Cain kills his brother Abel out of envy. The generation before the flood of Noah, as the text says, every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. It really was hopeless for our race, and God needed to intervene. And he did. He spoke to men like Abraham and Isaac And Jacob, he raised up judges and prophets. These men were apostles, messengers from God. God spoke through them because left to ourselves, we always mess things up. Left to ourselves, we cannot do the right thing consistently. Our hearts let us down. They betray us. We put our hope in the wrong places. God showers us with good gifts And we then turn those gifts into gods that rule over us. That's why we needed those earlier apostles, those messengers from the Old Testament. They kept pointing Israel back to their God. But here's the thing. Those earlier apostles, none of them were perfect. They were part of the problem. They themselves were part of fallen humanity. Amazingly, God worked through them, but they could never provide the ultimate resolution. The answer needed to come from God himself. And that is who Jesus is. Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle. But Jesus is not just an apostle. The text says he is our high priest. Um, So we don't tend to think in terms of the priesthood. And, you know, for us as Protestants, uh, evangelicals, the the priest can be a foreign concept. 
But in fact, this is wonderfully good news. Because remember, what was the Old Testament priesthood all about? Israel knew very well, every Israelite knew they were a sinner. That was their fundamental problem. Somehow, some way, they needed to be reconciled to God. And that, my friends, is precisely why there needed to be a priesthood. Human sin needs to be atoned for. It needs to be forgiven. And that was done by providing an innocent victim to take the sinner's punishment. Shedding the victim's blood symbolized the death that the sinner deserved. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Okay, so don't get squeamish. I know we're talking about blood, but... Um, what the text is saying is that the blood that is poured out of an animal, it symbolizes the life of the victim. In the Old Testament, sacrifices came in all shapes and sizes, burnt offerings, peace offerings, wave offerings, um, sin offerings. The list goes on, right? But what was all this about? What was the basic idea? If you were an Israelite and you went to the Levitical priest for atonement, he would pronounce you guilty before God because you are a sinner and God is holy. God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. God's wrath hangs over you. But then that's where the sacrificial animal comes in. This animal had to be perfect, spotless, clean, pure, no blemishes at all. The word, in the words of scripture, without defect. So you could not bring your second-rate lamb to the priest. You couldn't sort of bring a, your bargain slab of meat that you bought from Aldi's. We don't win God's favor on the cheap, right? No, you had to bring one of your most valuable, precious animals. And then you, the sinner, would lay your hand on that innocent animal. And that was symbolic of your sin and your guilt being transferred to the animal. The animal was then killed and its blood poured out. And then you were declared innocent. The animal stood in your place and was declared guilty instead. But of course, you've read your New Testament, and you know uh, from the New Testament, especially from the book of Hebrews, that those Old Testament sacrifices were never actually finally effective. Um, they were shadows. They were previews pointing to a better sacrifice that would come in the future. And that sacrifice was Christ. Jesus was the lamb without blemish, or defect, those other animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, by comparison, they were full of defects and blemishes. Oh, how beautiful he is. How lovely is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was without sin. No one could find fault with him. Jesus was holy, holy, holy. In the words of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our high priest. He himself provided the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And I can pronounce, I can pronounce this verdict on you today. Your sins have been forgiven. Your relationship with God is secure. It is eternal. It is everlasting. I hope you can see now what I mean by the fugue, right? In our daily lives, we often struggle with forces coming at us from different directions. A medical diagnosis, financial trouble, bad decisions come back to haunt you. Relationship problems, worse things, much, much worse things. They can overwhelm us. Now, the gospel doesn't make those things magically disappear. They're real. They're hard. No question. And we need to work through them. But when we assess our lives in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, that really does make all the difference. Our troubles, they don't have to suffocate us. Jesus came directly from God. And unlike any of the great ones from the Old Testament, he has resolved our problems forever. Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Alleluia. 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 Jill, Jill, why are you looking at me like that? She was worried I was going to start speaking in tongues. But <laughs> you don't even know the half of it, right? In verse 2, in verse 2, the text goes on to tell us that Jesus is in the same league as Moses. Think about that. You know your Old Testament. To compare Jesus to Moses is saying something very, very significant. Moses was the great prophet. In the world of the Old Testament, he was the big man on campus. He was the one who spoke to Yahweh, and he gave Israel the Ten Commandments. And right here, the text says Jesus was as faithful as Moses. The most significant individual in all of the Old Testament, and Jesus was as faithful as him. And what do we know about Moses? Moses, the man born during the reign of a wicked king, and yet was able to escape death. The midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Moses, the man called out of Egypt along with the entire nation of Israel. Moses, the man who spoke on God's behalf. According to Exodus 33:11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses, the man who brought manna from heaven when the people were hungry in the wilderness. Moses, the man who inaugurated a covenant between God and his people, the Mosaic covenant. And because of Israel's sins, God sent them poisonous snakes 
Many of them died. So Numbers says, So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Those are all chapters from the life of Moses. And those very same chapters come alive again in the life of Jesus. When Jesus was born, Herod was the wicked king in power. And Jesus escaped death when his family fled to Egypt. Jesus, like Moses, was also called out of Egypt. Remember what Matthew says, out of Egypt I called my son. And Jesus spoke with God face to face as he said to the Pharisees, I am telling you that what I have seen in the Father's presence, I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And as for manna, Jesus did not only multiply the many loaves of bread, Jesus himself is the bread of life. John 6, 32, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Can you see what's happening? It's really astonishing. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus mediated a new covenant between God and his people, a covenant better than the Mosaic covenant. Why was the new covenant necessary? Listen to John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the new Moses. Be encouraged today. Who then is Jesus? Jesus is our apostle. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is faithful like Moses. He is the new Moses. But my goodness, it gets better. It gets so much better. Listen to verses 3 to 5. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses versus Jesus, no contest. Jesus is on a different level entirely. We have never ever seen anything like this. Jesus is out of this world, literally. In verse five, there's actually a quote from Numbers chapter 12, verses six to eight. Um, And I want to read you those verses from the Old Testament. The Lord, Yahweh, is speaking, and here's what he says. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So you see why Moses was revered by the people. He was a remarkable prophet. 
Which of us has spoken with God face to face? If your pastor says he has, I'm sorry, he's probably lying. (laughs) Moses is the guy who met God on Mount Sinai. Well, we know that Jesus has. Not only that, Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses served the house of Israel. He was faithful as a servant in all God's house. But even Moses, even Moses could not bring ultimate salvation to the nation of Israel. Moses fit the same pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament. There was no one who could save Israel, let alone save the world. Abraham, remember him? Abraham, to whom the promise was given, whose faith was reckoned as righteousness. Isaac, who as a young man was almost sacrificed by his father Abraham, but God provided a ram instead. Jacob, who stole his brother Esau's birthright and walked with a limp after wrestling with God. Those are three great men, patriarchs of our faith, but none of them, none of them was the promised Messiah. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than Isaac. Jesus is better than Jacob. Praise the Lord. Jesus is the true Savior. It's the same pattern throughout the Bible. Samuel, King David, Solomon, the prophets. We could mention so many other names. All of these men... All these noble leaders of Israel, they all fell short. None of them ultimately delivered. And in the end, they all died. Of course, Jesus died too, but it was precisely in his death that he secured what humanity has been waiting for. He not only died, he rose again and he ascended into heaven. He was victorious. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. Jesus is better. Can I say that again? Jesus is way, way better. Jesus, listen, Jesus was the builder of the house. Moses served the house of Israel, but Jesus was the builder of the house which is why Jesus is in an entirely different category. He was a human being, just like you and me. He was a Jewish man, but he was infinitely more than that. He was fully human, and he was fully divine. Back in um, the same book, Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 2, we hear this. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Do you wonder why we call him the God-man? In the very next verse, we read that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, his powerful word, My uh, Chicago friends, um, this is better news than the Cubs winning the World Series. They waited 108 years. Humanity waited millennia. And then Jesus came. 
Moses was merely a servant. He was a shadow of something much brighter. He was pointing to the Messiah who was coming, the anointed one who would turn the world upside down. And his name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Jesus is our apostle. He is our high priest. He is faithful as Moses. No, let me raise you. He is greater than Moses because Jesus is the one we worship. So listen to verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, the church. We are his house, life spring community church, but not just us, all of God's people down through the ages, all the men and women, all the boys and girls who have been redeemed by the work of Christ, all those whose sins are forgiven, who have been reconciled to the father, the children of Abraham, those who are the true Israel, God's people, we are God's house and the sun rules over us. We are in the same big family. Christ is our Lord. Christ is our King. My brother, remember that. My sister, remember that. Don't forget it today. Don't forget it tomorrow. In the Old Testament, um, we see again and again how Israel keeps forgetting what Yahweh has done for them during the wilderness. Remember, they just kept grumbling. They kept complaining. They complained about not having water. They complained about not having food to eat. They kept envying the pagans surrounding them. They wanted to worship other gods, more exciting. And if you're like me, when you read those parts of the Bible, it's like, come on, people. Yahweh brought you out of Egypt miraculously. He is present with you as a pillar of fire and as a cloud every day. What more do you want, right? Why are you stressing so much? You fools, have faith. God is with you. God is always faithful. He saved you before. He's going to save you again. That's what we want to say to them, right? Haven't you thought that? How could you guys forget so easily, you Israelites? But of course, we're no different, right? We're no different. In light of this passage in Hebrews, how could we possibly stress out about life? How could we be weighed down chronically by so many anxieties? How can we forget so easily as if we're experiencing daily fugues, mad travelers through this world? Not you, not you, right? Don't forget, don't forget. Christ is Lord, Christ is King. And it makes all the difference in the world. That is where our hope lies, my brothers and sisters. Our hope is in Jesus. We all know that intellectually, 
but it needs to marinate in our souls. That is our confidence. That is our hope. Our lives depend on it. And that's what it says at the end of verse 6. We hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In Luke chapter 2, we hear of a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Like every Jew in Israel, he had been waiting for God's deliverance. He was waiting for God to rescue Israel from her enemies, to solve all their problems. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when he finally saw the child Jesus, the Holy Spirit inspired him to say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And all of us here, we have been blessed to see far more than Simeon ever did. We know exactly who Jesus is, and we know exactly what he did, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I know this is an EFCA church, right? But it should make us want to dance and clap, right? Praise the Lord. Jesus will return as the rider on the white horse. The name of this rider is faithful and true. He is the desire of the nations. He is Emmanuel. He is the lily of the valley, the morning star, the son of David, mighty God, the prince of peace, the son of righteousness, the resurrection and the life. Praise the Lord. But in our daily lives, in the nitty-gritty, we are prone to forget. We become mad travelers, our minds forever distracted, weighed down by other things. And I think here we can help each other. We can help one another as a community, right? Live up to your name, LifeSpring Community Church. Let me mention uh, four practical things we can do in addition to celebrating the Lord's Supper as we're going to do later. But here are four practical things. First, and you guys know all this already. I'm not saying anything new. But sometimes we need to be reminded, right? So first, pick up your Bible and start reading it. Uh, make it a habit. If you've never done that properly, you can start like, I don't know, five or ten minutes a day. Or you can use a one-year Bible reading plan. You can get those online easily, download a plan. Um, but reading Scripture regularly helps us not to forget. It is spiritual food that nourishes our souls. It is a weapon against the devil. Second, be praying people. Right? Be praying people. These days, we don't talk as much about our devotional life or quiet time. Um, but we should recover those disciplines, right? Pray in the mornings or pray at night. Um, figure out what works best for you, where you are in life and your family and so on. I know we're all busy, uh, but it really is about priorities. And, um, and seriously, if we're not praying regularly, we're just not going to be very effective. 
Christians. Third, if you're not part of a community group, a small group, I think your small groups are called community groups. If you're not part of one, this week might be a good time to join one. Uh, surround yourself with brothers and sisters who can encourage you, support you, and love you. And um, that's, that, that's a, a way we can build each other up. And then finally, um, and I'm thinking about the younger men and women here, I would encourage you to find older Christians who can mentor you. There are many in this congregation. It doesn't have to be, I'm not thinking of a super formal kind of relationship, but find someone you can meet with once a week or once every two weeks. He or she can help you put your life in perspective. They can help you see how Christ makes all the difference, even when life gets really difficult, even when we're prone to forget. May God give all of us strength to live life to the full in light of Jesus, our great Redeemer. Amen.